This is Olivia Berkman, and welcome to Balance Sheet. As I've mentioned in actually all of these episodes, my husband and I recently had our first child. And while we were fortunate in that we did not struggle with infertility, which I just want to note, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists defines as spending 12 months trying to conceive without conception. We both know many couples who have and are struggling. In fact, according to the CDC, 12 to 13 out of 100 couples in the United States have trouble getting pregnant. But despite being a challenge for so many, there's still a lot of stigma and misinformation around infertility. With so many working men and women navigating infertility and turning to options like in vitro fertilization or IVF and egg freezing, I wanted to speak with someone who could help me understand the process for those struggling to conceive and how companies are supporting their employees through these challenges. In this episode, I spoke with Dr. Milen Yao. She has over 20 years of experience in clinical and scientific research in reproductive medicine. Prior to founding Unify, she was on the faculty at Stanford University, where she led fertility and embryogenetics research and developed the Unify technology with the academic founding team. I want to note that though she is a doctor, I do refer to Milen by her first name in this conversation because, as Milen says, she's speaking here as a CEO. Milen and I met at a women's leadership conference this year, and she is incredibly passionate about helping couples achieve their dreams of starting a family. We do get into the weeds of IVF here, but I think it's important for everyone to know more about infertility generally and the solutions that are out there, because it's likely we all know someone who is going through some form of this. Okay, enough from me. Here's Milen. I want to start broadly, you can give us some background information. So who are the people who are needing fertility and and family building care beyond just couples who are struggling with fertility? Maybe those are the people that come to mind, but I know that's kind of just the tip of the iceberg. Right. So yes, there are people that are going through infertility. And what does that mean? There are people that cannot conceive on their own. And so they need medical services in order to help them. And that's actually quite common. I just saw some statistics that about a third of Americans either know someone who has gone through fertility treatment or is going through it or has gone through it themselves. So that's a pretty high percentage. By now, I think most people have heard about it. And among straight couples, about one in eight couples in the reproductive age group cannot conceive on their own and would need care. But then we're also talking about couples and individuals uh, that are LGBTQ. And for them, of course, they also need help to build their families and their needs are also very different. Um, So I think now the professionals in the fertility space really are recognizing that very well and there are more and more services to help the LGBTQ group. And now we're also, you know, seeing single women that are interested to learn more about how to preserve their fertility, partly just there are different factors. But, you know, traditionally, people had thought, oh, it's because women want to focus on their careers, pushing off having babies. And that stereotype is not so true anymore because the reality is when you talk to women that are looking at egg freezing options, they really just maybe haven't met the right person. 
And that's also becoming more and more challenging. And I think in today's world, women also realize, well, if I didn't meet the right person yet, or if I'm not sure, I shouldn't enter into marriage just because I want to have babies. And I think it's good that we now have the technology to offer options for women so that they don't have to do that. At the other end of the spectrum, you also have women that may have to go through medical treatments such as cancer that can really compromise their fertility. And so there's a need to think about whether they want to preserve their fertility by freezing their eggs in advance of having, let's say, chemotherapy or radiation. So those are some things that technology can also support now. And then another group of people that we know about that need fertility services are couples that have uh, have a high risk of passing on genetically inherited diseases that can be very serious, dangerous, or lethal to their children. And having the right genetic testing of their embryos is a way to help them have a healthy family. Now, to just talk about egg freezing for a moment, if you are a healthy woman looking to freeze her eggs or, or thinking about freezing her eggs, so it's not a case of chemo or radiation, when should she see a specialist? Yes. So egg freezing may not end up being for everybody, but I think it's good, you know, if someone is interested to learn more about it, just to know what's involved. And uh, so you would see a fertility specialist for that because they're the people that do the egg freezing treatment and procedure and get counseling, first of all, just to learn about what's involved, what are the potential benefits, what's the potential chance that that's going to help you have a baby, and also what are the limitations. Um, it's not 100% guarantee and why that is. And also just learn about the steps. You know, it's definitely not like a pill that you just take is pretty involved with the same as the steps that fertility couples go through with IVF. There's hormonal injections, procedure to take out the eggs and freeze them and so on. And later you have to go in to put the embryos back into your uterus. So it's quite involved. And I think once you learn about it, you know, maybe is not is not for most people at that particular time, but maybe two years later, it is time. But it's obviously also costly. So cost is definitely a big factor. Um, and we can't really trivialize that, you know, at least several thousand dollars to have one cycle of IVF to retrieve the egg. And then it costs to store the eggs. A lot of times just knowing that up front, just to know what is involved, is it something you want to put money towards, really require advanced planning for most people. Mm -hmm. And in the case of a, let's just say, for simplicity's sake, a straight couple who is struggling with infertility, when should they see a specialist? Yeah. So the ASRM, which is the American Society for Reproductive Medicine, so that organization has put out some guidance and it's actually quite broad. First of all, any woman or men that are concerned about their fertility it's important that you speak with a specialist so that you can get very specific guidance on your own situation because everybody's different. And I think, you know, sometimes the general information that we get from the internet may not be that applicable to each individual. And then you, the most common is also couples that have tried to conceive on their own. You know, the official guidance is a year and you're not successful, then go see a fertility specialist. But if you've tried six months or eight months and you're starting to be concerned, yeah, definitely go see a fertility specialist. There really is not a rule 
any time is better to go sooner rather than later. And also because many couples may not realize that timing could be very important. So you may think you're trying, but if you're not timing it right, maybe to get some guidance on timing. And of course, now there are many apps that can help with that as well. So that support is very accessible now. But especially also for women that are 35 or older, definitely there's no need to wait 12 months, even if you've been trying for, you know, four to six months, you can really go see a fertility specialist, actually very young in terms of age. Um, so these are very young women. And it's, I think it's terrible that we have to say older, but in terms of the reproductive years, just being realistic. Yes, 35 and older is really when you don't want to wait too long because by that point, every year does make a difference. How does it actually work? Can you walk us through the typical IVF process? Sure. So IVF stands for in vitro fertilization, and it's really a procedure where your eggs are going to be removed outside of your body to fertilize with a sperm and then to be cultured outside of your body for the first few days into an embryo to a stage called the blastocyst. And then that embryo, that blastocyst would be either placed back into your womb or cryopreserved or frozen to be put back into your body later. Um, so roughly, you know, that's high level, that's what it is. And the steps that a woman and her partner would have to go through, the first step is to kind of suppress your own hormonal system in terms of your menstrual cycles. Now, maybe I'll take a step back even before that. Like, why does this treatment even work? I think it's important to understand. Like, why would you even go through all this intervention for your body? When doctors look for causes of infertility, there are some obvious causes that we have very good diagnostic tests for. So, oh, maybe you're not ovulating. You're not putting out an egg per month on a regular basis, or you're ovulating too infrequently. So it becomes difficult to try on your own, or there's something is not quite optimal with the sperm. And there are other factors such as maybe there's some uterine factor, there's tubal factor. So those are all causes that are very standard for diagnostic tests to pick up. However, we know that there's so many more causes that we don't even have diagnostic tests for. And so the goal of IVF is really to help you optimize the chance. It gives you more eggs, more than one egg. It concentrates the sperm. It puts the sperm right against the egg, you know, so that, that it's easier for the sperm to fertilize the egg. And then it's cultured so that the embryologist can see, are your embryos developing? Because if these things aren't happening when you try on your own in your body, Nobody knows what's happening wrong. Um, no, no doctor can tell you when you try on your own, oh, it's because your egg didn't get fertilized. Oh, it's because your embryo didn't develop. You don't know. All you know is my pregnancy test is not positive, right? And so it becomes very frustrating. IVF really tries to optimize every step of the way. What that means is, yes, you suppress your menstrual cycle, your own menstrual cycle, and you inject hormonal medication, um, which is very similar to what your body makes. And so it's a, just a recombinant way to synthesize the same hormones that your body normally makes. And those hormones will stimulate the ovaries to make follicles, which houses your eggs. But instead of just one egg that is mature, when you, you know, have a regular cycle on your own, it could be five, 10, you know, depending on how you respond to the medication. And so at one shot, 
you can, in one month, you can have five oocytes, 10, and oocytes is the medical term for eggs, um, 10 or 15. And so that is equivalent to you trying for over a year wow. on your own. You know, so that's kind of why it makes sense for a lot of people to consider IVF. And also the sperm is also obtained and then put in against the egg. And what the embryologist in the lab can see is, are your eggs getting fertilized? And they would never have known that had they not gone through IVF. And so for those patients, IVF is a very targeted treatment because there is a way to inject a sperm directly into the oocyte to fertilize it to become an egg. And then, you know, once the embryos developed at that point, after the hormone injections and the egg retrieval, and really for as far as physical intrusion that a woman would feel, the egg retrieval and the stimulation of the ovaries is the big part. It takes about you know, 10 to 14 days, depending on how you respond to the treatment. And it really does give you side effects. Look, it's a very unpleasant experience. And the egg retrieval itself, this is usually done through a transvaginal ultrasound, putting the needle directly into your body to retrieve the eggs from the ovaries. The doctor would extract that. And then these eggs would then be passed to the embryologist. And, and of course, there's anesthesia given during this. So, you know, you don't need to be aware of it. But, you know, when you wake up, it is very sore and painful for at least a couple of days. And then it does take quite a few weeks to gradually have the symptoms go away. And depending on what your situation is, your doctor might suggest to transfer the embryos fresh, meaning within a, within a few days of your retrieval, or depending on your situation, it may be recommended to freeze your blastocyst and then completely let your body recover from being overwhelmed by hormones. And then in another month, when your body is all calm, then go through some preparation and monitoring to have the embryo be placed back into your uterus. Now, how long can an embryo be frozen for? And does its health deteriorate over time? Yeah, so that's another good thing is that um, I actually don't know what is in the Guinness Book of Record for the longest cryopreserved embryo, but definitely the time that it is cryopreserved or frozen does not seem to impact you know, the success rate at all. Mm-hmm. You did mention cost before uh, when we were discussing egg freezing, and I know that IVF is obviously also very expensive. So what are the actual costs that we're talking about? And and then what does it cost to keep your, your eggs um, frozen or keep an embryo frozen? What are the costs that happen kind of down the line? So in the U.S., IVF is very expensive. It's probably more expensive than in other countries. And it really varies from region to region. And it's usually proportional to the cost of living in each city. And so we definitely see a range of one IVF cycle costing somewhere between anywhere from 10000 up to 20000 or above. However, the price does not necessarily indicate better quality of care. So yes, sometimes they correlate, but a lot of times they don't. And I think what is really tricky for people that are going through or exploring this option is that a lot of times the information comes with a lot of medical terminology and jargon and may not be very easy for everyone to understand. So one treatment 
includes all of these steps. And so some fertility centers make it very easy for people to understand, like this price includes all of the things that we may have to do. Also, another thing to really think about, this doesn't come up a lot, but it's what our company, Unify, really aims to do is to educate women and couples about the probability of success because the cost does depend on your probability. Maybe not the cost per treatment, but what is your chance of having a baby from one treatment? If you might need two treatments, then you really should know upfront what might you be looking at. Um, so overall, about 50% of patients will need two or three treatments to be successful. What we do is develop and validate prediction models for IVF success. So what we see is we see the whole spectrum. Even for women that have a very high chance to succeed, let's say 70 or 80% chance per treatment, but it means, well, maybe two or three women out of 10 would not have a baby, even though they go in with just as good chances. So it's, I think it's very important to look at that so that we can really help more women and couples have a baby at the end of it, not just having a treatment. Right. And I do want to talk a little bit about Unify's platform in just a moment. But before we get into that, does insurance ever cover IVF? Yes, it does. And in the US, we also have a very complex healthcare system, as everyone knows. So there are states that have really good laws that mandate IVF coverage so that if you work for a certain type of employer, they are obliged to pay for your IVF care. And that's great for the people living and working in those states. However, most states do not have that. And then it really falls on each employer on their own as to how they want to cover this. Now, there are traditional health insurance plans that also can provide fertility care, but there's a big spectrum. Some of them only cover some types of fertility treatments and not IVF because that's more expensive. And some of them also have a lot of rules. And for the most part, there is up to the employer which options they choose to be included. But I think a lot of times also the employer is really looking at so many healthcare needs that it may not be jump out at them that, wow, I thought we covered fertility, but I had no idea that we didn't cover multiple IVF cycles. So a lot of times because you know, you see the word fertility and you may not know that the most effective treatment, oh, actually wasn't on our plan. And then I think more and more employers are also looking at fertility benefits outside of the traditional health plan. So we see that as well. And we're seeing a lot more employers participating or using some type of coverage uh, to include infertility. And especially in the past few years, that has increased significantly. But I think by far, the most common types of coverage is still something called a lifetime maximum. And you don't really see that for cancer care or diabetes. You, you know, you don't really hear about, I have this cancer and I can only get up to $30,000 coverage for my cancer treatment. And after that, I'm on my own. In most health plans that are good, you don't really see that. But I think definitely that is the norm for fertility right now still. And a lot of 
employers, you know, they felt like maybe $20,000 to $30,000 coverage. That's pretty generous, but it may not work out that way. And there's also medication costs that is not even included in the cost that I was discussing before. And also many patients can definitely benefit from genetic testing of their embryos as well. Um, so there are just additional pieces that are costly. And it sounds like many people don't actually understand their personal probability of conceiving. And that is, I know, something that Unify is particularly concerned with. So tell me how Unify helps inform anyone looking to have a baby before they make any major decisions. So I think if IVF is an option that your doctor is recommending, then it's really worthwhile to learn about what are your chances of having a baby from IVF compared to other options. Now, IVF is going to come out as the most expensive option most of the time. So there is a tendency traditionally for couples to try other less expensive methods first. For example, intrauterine insemination, which costs a lot less, you know, 500 to maybe max 2000 one treatment. But for most people, that treatment gives you about 10% chance at best. So that is something to learn. Now, I think everyone knows age is a big factor. You know, as women get older, yes, their chance of naturally conceiving is less, but also their chance of conceiving through IVF is less. And a lot of people are really focused on age, like, oh, I'm only 31. I should be okay. I'm relatively young. Or, oh, I'm 39. Will this even work for me? I'm afraid to do it because I don't want to waste my money. And then I think also the very terrible thing that people can get into is my friend is 39 and she had a baby. So I'm 36. I'm not going to worry. You know, I'll do this when I'm 39. And the worst thing is that we we hear about news um, from celebrities that are like, oh, so-and-so is 50 and has a baby. Well, they did not tell you that um, maybe that celebrity used donor eggs, right? You don't know the full detail of how someone had their families. And so I think there's just a lot, there's a lot of information and misinformation or missing information when we hear all of these stories. What we want to do is to use all the available information that a couple and the doctor would have at that stage. So these are people that have already gone through their diagnostic testing And how can you use all of this information to help them get a more accurate and more personalized probability of success so that they can make a better decision? So, for example, the factors that we found, you know, of course, age is very important, but also body mass index, which is a composite of your height and weight and ovarian reserve. And and so the best way to really do that is through just objective, data-driven, scientific approach. And we use machine learning to bring that technology in to really inform patients. And also what a lot of women don't know is just because you're healthy, you exercise, you have a good diet, it does not mean you will have good ovarian reserve. Unfortunately, ovarian reserve is not like cardiac health. It is not something you can exercise or work on. Um, Whatever biological clock that you're born with, there is really no solution right now or no way to tell people, how can you keep your ovaries young? We don't have a solution for that. And so, and it may be different from your chronological age. So a young woman, 29, may actually have ovarian aging that is 
uh, as if she's an older woman, even if she's young and healthy in every other way. So I think that's the uh, that's the situation where you know having an evaluation with a fertility specialist is really useful. And um, and also, you know, the clinical diagnosis that your doctor makes is also going to enter into this model. Everyone's going to have a different personal, you know, value. So for some couples, a probability of 20% may be so low. What? I'm going to go through this and pay this amount of money and I'm only going to have a 20% chance of having a baby. I'm not going to choose that, Right. But for some other couples, it may be like, yeah, we got to give that a try. So everyone's different. And I think we we want to let everyone choose in their own way, but to be informed by this number when they're choosing. Tell me a little bit about how Unify came to be. Yeah, so I my background is that I... Uh, trained and worked as an OBGYN. And then I did my, I was very interested in infertility and what are all the ways to help people get through this. So I went, um, I pursued a fellowship, which is subspecialty training in reproductive endocrinology and infertility um, at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston. And there I really loved what the technology can do, but I also got very interested in what still all the unanswered questions and what more help we really need to address um, patients' needs. So I decided to go into the research direction and really study fertility or early um, pre-implantation embryo development at a molecular level. Like what are the genes that can cause embryos to develop better or not develop and really translate that to what we're seeing in the IVF centers. Like why do some women have embryos that make it and some don't? Is there some rhyme and reason behind this beyond age and beyond, you know, ovarian aging? Um, So that's really got me interested into looking at these questions. And then when I was um, faculty at Stanford, I had my own research lab. I had the opportunity to collaborate with the IVF Center there. And together with my collaborator, Professor Wing Wong, um, who's an amazing biostatistician and expert in machine learning, and his team of experts. So we collaborated together to bring together clinical people and also biostatisticians, people with expertise in machine learning, and also biology research to say, what if we put all this data together and just see what are the factors that make some some people have a higher chance to conceive. We really didn't know that we would come upon a prediction model, but what we really found was a very powerful way to calculate probability of having a baby um, for a couple that's going through IVF. And we thought, wow, this is so such a powerful method to counsel patients with. And then my collaborator, Professor Wing Wong, and I, we just felt so compelled to bring that to patients. And the way to do that is really to go beyond academic research. How can we help people use this technology in real life? How can we help providers implement this in their centers? And fast forward, what we have now is an AI platform that builds customized um, center-specific prediction models. So what I mean by that is we're not looking at national statistics or national averages or what is the probability to have a baby in the U.S., okay? Because we actually learned that patient populations are so different in every region in terms of their characteristics. Like certain regions, you know, BMI is a much bigger, more important factor than others. And in certain regions, age is a much bigger factor and so on. And so we found that 
in order to give patients a very personalized and accurate prediction, you really should focus on data from that specific IVF center. So we work with IVF centers to take their historical data and outcomes, and we build that into a prediction model and have very rigorous validation steps to make sure that is validated before we actually put it on the cloud and let the providers use it. And so each patient now that um, is when their doctor is recommending IVF at these participating centers, the patient can get a personalized report, a unified pre-IVF report that tells them very easy to understand, easy to read, has nice visuals that tell them what are what is your probability to have a baby if you pursue IVF given your specific health profile and your male partner's health profile, or if you use donor sperm, or if you're a gay couple and you have one woman use her eggs and another woman uterus, what are what is the probability of success in that situation? But it's not just that one cycle, it's really setting up for people to think about what if you had three chances? So for example, uh, let's say if a couple has around 60, 65% chance of having a baby from one treatment. If you could have up to three treatments, your chances would be greater than 85%. Um, and really to think about it that way, so that they can plan better because what we see is that IVF can be very effective, but you have to, you may have to set up your expectation to do two or three times. So now what we have set up with many IVF centers is an IVF refund program or multi-cycle program. What women want to know is when they pay for this, if you pay, let's say twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars You can, if you can have up to three treatments and at the end of that, if it doesn't work, you hope it works. And for most people, it will work. But if it doesn't, you get a portion of your money back. Now, you know, you're still devastated that didn't work out, but at least you are not also losing all of your money. And I think that level of transparency and, you know, feeling like my doctor has skin in the game too, it just feels more fair. And also with machine learning, we can help about 80% of couples be eligible for such a program at these participating centers, um, which is also very different from the traditional type of IVF refund program where they only offer this to people with the highest chance. Well, that's really not the point. We want most people to be able to access such a program. So it's working very well. And we also have brought in a financing partner because we realize still some people really need to have a really easy, friendly consumer loan to help with that process. And we've brought in BBVA as our partner. And we're really happy to see that we're able to help patients not only understand their chance of success with IVF, but also understand that the best way to have a, the best chance of a baby is if they could afford several treatments. Um, so those are, you know, so I think the scope of how can we expand access of fertility care to patients, it just becomes broader and broader. And I think we have to be, I started out as really looking at the medical problem and then as research, but now for the past many years, it's really been, I've been focusing on what are the practical solutions that can make this work. And when I heard you speak at a women's leadership conference, it always stuck with me what you said about doctors and why they would participate. And of course, doctors need to be paid, but 
in cases of family building, success means having a baby, right? And so doctors want that for their patients. And that always stuck with me, you know, when when you shared that on the panel. Yeah, I mean, there's so many ways to make money, but the fertility doctors that we know, they're doing this because they want people to have a family. And so, but how do we make that work if you might need several treatments? You and I were actually scheduled to to speak back in March, um, and you had let me know at that time that the American Society for Reproductive Medicine, which you mentioned earlier, ASRM, had just released fertility guidance around COVID-19, and we decided to put our conversation on pause. Now it's June, so can you tell me about that guidance and where it stands today? Mm-hmm. It was a really tough time, and I know covid 19 was tough for everybody. And then for fertility patients, what they went through was just horrendous because a lot of these women and couples have already planned months or years in advance for this or have saved up money, scheduled their treatments. Then the guidance was because of all the uncertainties of COVID and also the risk of catching the infection or just to make sure it's under control to stop procedures, fertility procedures for a short time. And I think that was very hard because a lot of people didn't know when would they resume treatment, when could they reschedule. And for the women that are older or they know their ovarian reserve was already declining, every day just seems like you know too long. But thankfully, we're, what we're seeing is now um, fertility centers are have reopened and they just worked so hard to immediately come up with safety procedures, all of the rules, kind of making sure that social distancing can be maintained, that there's safety uh, procedures within the IVF centers. But I think now more and more we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. But I think one thing that has also come out from that is the use of virtual consultations, which have become really popular or necess- by necessity. But actually, it just turns out that I think most patients really like it. And most doctors also find that to be pretty very useful and they're able to connect with the patients. And that may, in fact, even make it more convenient for women and couples to now seek consultations. Mm -hmm. It's funny you mention it because we only just yesterday, my husband and I, had a a video conference with our son's pediatrician. And it's definitely something I could get used to. Of course, there are reasons for going into an office. and But it is nice to just be able to hop on FaceTime and ask a couple of questions. I imagine that would be helpful for couples and others who are at the very beginning stages of trying to understand if IVF or egg freezing or, or any other type of fertility treatments is right for them. It just removes another barrier. So so that's one one good thing that came out of COVID-19. <laughs> exactly. So tell me about a, a podcast that you're currently enjoying. I actually listen to a broad spectrum. And honestly, I'm a bit of a news buff. So a lot of times I'm listening to different news podcasts. And there's so much going on in our world today, first with COVID and affecting people globally, and also with Black Lives Matter becoming something that everyone should learn about and support. Um, but I think one that is maybe not a news one, one that's more more like fun, is uh, Malcolm Gladwell's Revisionist History. I mean, he's just an amazing and I'm a fan of his, but all of these stories are based on something that we thought we knew, but maybe we didn't know some aspects of it. And it's really interesting to hear 
how there could be different angles of looking at something simple that you thought you learned in history. I love that. A lot of people, very big fans of that podcast. Milan, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today and for providing all of this information and for creating Unify because I think you're doing amazing work and I'm sure, you know, it's very rewarding for you. Yes, I think I'm really lucky to to have a team of very dedicated and very talented and smart people to help me. I mean, we go to work. I mean, we go to work online every day being excited about what we do. And I really want to thank you, Olivia, for inviting me to the podcast. I'm really glad to have this conversation with you. Me too. Thank you again.